0: you're listening to episode four of eight minute movies alienated a podcast talking about the 1979 movie alien in little eight minute chunks presented by me kieran and him peter how are you doing today peter
1: uh hello i am doing well thank you uh i am i mean how aren't i doing you could ask Um... Uh, uh,
0: all right all right hold on
1: how aren't you doing peter Really badly, I'm not doing
0: really badly. Mate, oh, should we do the whole episode in like negatives? Should we not do the whole episode in negatives? Wait, how do I answer that now? I I don't know. I I do know.
1: Do we, uh, no, this is a bad idea. I do, I'm so confused. <laughs> we're, we're, we're less taken.
0: than <laughs> uh, not even a minute in, and we're already not not suggesting a terrible system.
1: Mm. How are or aren't you? Uh, I'm not, not, not good,
0: not bad. Well, that clears that up. (laughs) Um, I'm okay. Um, Peter, I'm, I'm having a minor crisis. Go on. You see, when I eat food... Yes. I use cutlery to do it. It's traditional, yes. And... Among, I, I, I'm i just clarifying for the listeners at home, among the items of cutlery you can have, there's a sort of, they're all basically a stick with like an implement
1: at the end. Do you think the listeners are familiar with cutlery? Um, I think you should explain it in detail for those who might not be familiar with cutlery. But so, so generally there are three pieces. There's, yeah. they all, they all start with a stick and at the end of one of the sticks, there's like a
0: miniature bowl and that's called yeah. a spoon. Yeah. Um, one of them is just a long, sharp stick, and that's called a knife. Yes. And there's another one which is like Poseidon's trident, but very small. Yes. And, uh, and we call
1: that the fork. Now and it might might have more than three dents as well. That is true. the uh, The dents are called tines. Yes. Mm. That's one of the few
0: times you'll ever say that word. Yeah. Mm. Ballantines and Fork tines
1: So On the subject of Cutlery, what, what is your Problem? So I have several Forks,
0: right? Uh, yeah. well, okay, sorry, that, uh, first of all That made me seem um, Very grandiose uh, <laughs> right. Braggadocio You know because, um, <laughs>
1: because when you have a meal You only need one, really
0: Yeah, yeah, that's correct So, so I I have sets of cutlery, so you know you have a fork, a knife, and a spoon, and they're—I was going to say paired, but that's three things, so coupled,
1: yeah. I guess. No, um, coupled is also two things. Okay, oh, um, uh, grouped. Grouped. Let's <laughs> say grouped. What? What is the word for three of something? They—they uh, they, they come in threesomes. Yes. Um. <laughs> Perfect. No, (laughs) nothing weird about describing it that way.
0: No, no ambiguity there whatsoever. Um, And somehow between like the day before yesterday and today, all of my forks have gone missing. Right. I I was I was looking in the cutlery drawer, and I have, I have knives and I have spoons,
1: but I have no forks. Okay. Um. While I sympathise, I feel like the listener may feel like you're basically using a lot of words to drag out the story, which could be summarised as, I can't find my forks.
0: Yes, yes, that's quite right, actually. Uh, now that you yeah. put it that way, it's much more succinct. Um, it didn't take four and a half minutes to explain. No. Uh, <laughs> the, the point is, let's turn this around. Do you know where my forks are?
1: Um, I haven't been to your house recently, uh, not um, for about uh, not not for eighteen months. <laughs> no. So mm. uh, unless I planned something that would make your forks disappear today, eighteen months ago in your house, and I I'm going I'm prepared to tell you now that I did not do that. Mm. Um, then I'm not involved in this mystery in in any way. Oh, you see, I'm. <laughs>
0: I did buy a big magnet the other day, but but, but I'm I'm 100% positive the two things are unrelated.
1: <laughs> you just you think you're going to find a magnet somewhere with several forks stuck
0: to it? <laughs> I mean, if that was the case, surely it would also take the knives and spoons, right? They're all made of the same metal. Uh, I, I, I guess it depends. Is it a fork magnet? Do you know, we, we've wandered into a weird aside here, right? Mm. But in restaurants, they genuinely do make the knives and forks out of different metals.
1: Uh, oh, right, yeah, in order to sort them out, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So,
0: so basically they throw them into a gigantic dishwasher and then they use a huge-ass electromagnet to get, yeah. all the, <laughs> get all the knives out.
1: So if they do that in restaurants, maybe they do a similar thing in just other cutlery. Because why would you do it differently for restaurants? That, well, I guess cheapness. But um, I, <laughs> I, uh,
0: I started this as just a hilarious little joke, but I feel like I've gone down a conspiracy theory rabbit hole. Is there a giant magnet over my house
1: covered yeah. in forks? <laughs> well, magnetism is one way. To explain it, another way to explain it is that when they were being washed up, they just ended up getting put somewhere weird, and now you don't know where it is. Um, uh, in, in any case, what I'm what I'm willing to share with you today on this podcast is that um, forks are available for purchase. Oh, are we being sponsored by Big Fork? <laughs> yeah, that's right. You, you, uh, and by which I mean. The list. You, Kieran. Oh, me. <laughs> you, you, Kieran. But also, anyone who happens to be listening can go onto any popular cutlery website. I, I'm not entirely sure how it works, but, but any website where you can buy items like general items and uh, type in forks, and you can get those. You know, you
0: say that, but um, but it's not strictly speaking true. Because here in the UK, if you buy, they won't sell you a knife if you're under 16. Mm. 16 or under, I suppose. Even if it's a cutlery knife. Mm. So, but then again, should people who are 15 and under be listening to a podcast discussing an 18 rated film?
1: Um, well, legally they're allowed. Um, <laughs> That's true, yes. Uh, I don't know what the... Uh, what, what What is the law regarding film ratings anyway? Because I'm not actually clear on that. This is maybe slightly relevant to what we're actually supposed to be talking about. If a film is an 18, are you allowed to watch it? Like... Can am, I, get... am I allowed to watch it I'm in my no, 30s <laughs> no, no. is one allowed to watch it if one is under 18 <laughs> okay
0: is... I was gonna I was gonna say well like like there's like an 18 with a K next to it and I'm no. not allowed it just me only me
1: <laughs> like uh I I know that there are laws in place to prevent people from buying said things I think I think that's true uh, but is there any law actually against someone being allowed to watch it um
0: from what i understand uh, there's no punishment for the individual so right. if if a 15 year old goes to see an 18 rated movie that's i was going to say that's fine but it's it's not really i guess um the cinema may lose their license if right. that occurs so it's it's on the venue but also i don't think anyone in the world
1: cares right <laughs> certainly, <enough>. certainly <laughs> no one in this country for for the longest time no one listening to this podcast anyway so let's move on um, ah good okay well
0: um ooh, wh- was that the introduction uh, okay a lengthy digression about forks yeah um Oh, boy. Well, I guess we should introduce the concept of the podcast now, a week in.
1: uh, (laughs) And thank the heavens above, it's your turn, Peter. Uh, Yes, okay, so I haven't prepared any of this, so let's just go for it. It's been a little while. Um, We are watching the film Alien, and we are doing so in eight-minute chunks. Uh, It's all been split up by Kieran into eight-minute chunks, and we are going through each in turn and then discussing that chunk of eight minutes uh, in some detail based on notes that Kieran has prepared. Now, Kieran is a big fan of this film series and uh, uh, and in particular this film. Uh, I have... Seen the film a few times, maybe, um, but I'm I'm not intimately familiar with the film. I, I I don't really know that much about it, so I am observing it from a more kind of outsider standpoint. While Kieran will be bringing us all of the facts, and that's kind of it.
0: Yes, that is it. Um, well done. So. We also have a series one uh, of this podcast called um, Here's the Thing, and uh, it was about the John Carpenter movie The Thing. So a lot of our subtitles for podcast sections have the word The Thing in them, Um, and we still haven't done anything about that a third of the way through the Alien podcast, but I I guess that's just because
1: Alien isn't quite as punnable a word. Yeah. no, I'm quite happy with what we came up with for the podcast title, but beyond that, uh, there's not much we can do. Yeah, so, so we're going to move into a section called
0: Let's Not Talk About The Thing. Brackets, alien. Yeah. <laughs> yes. In which I will tell you one, one thing. <laughs> no. In which I will talk to you about something tangentially related to the movie, but maybe not, strictly speaking, the movie itself.
1: Okay, uh, what do you have for me today on this topic, then?
0: Uh, I am going to talk to you about H.R. Giga. Ah. Uh, it's Giga, not Geiger. It's not like the radiation counter. Mm. Fully named Hans-Rudy Giga, he was a Swiss artist best known for his airbrushed images of humans and machines connected in cold biomechanical relationships. His work is on permanent display at the HR Giga Museum in Saint Germain Castle in Gruyere, Switzerland, which was formerly his home. Is that not a cheese? Uh, it is a cheese, and do you know what? It's where the cheese comes from. Right, cheese okay. can also be places. Who knew?
1: Yeah. Okay. Um,
0: <laughs> he was part of the special effects team that won an Academy Award for the visual design of Ridley Scott's 1979 sci fi horror film Alien. You see why we're talking about him now? I do. Dan O'Banner found Giga's work disturbing saying his paintings had a profound effect on me. I had never seen anything that was quite as horrible and at the same time as beautiful as his work and so I ended up writing a script about a Giga monster. The inspiration for the alien came from a painting he'd done in 1976 called Necronom 4. He's also done design work for other things including Yodorowsky's Dune, Killer Condom, Species... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he did a little giggle species batman forever and the video game dark seed
1: and on that subject that really is my first encounter with uh, giga's work and not alien as you might expect um now from the laugh I, I i do you mean killer condom
0: or dark seed oh no i definitely mean dark seed that's great because uh because i was just about to ask you have you played dark seed
1: i've played a demo of dark seed it came out i believe on the amiga um so I, th- I think that's true uh and i i think there was a demo of it on some cover disc at some point and uh yeah i do remember it being uh giga <laughs> um
0: Yeah, uh, I've got a note here of the plot, which is um, an ad executive buys an old mansion and moves in. And on the first night, he has a nightmare about being imprisoned by a machine that shoots an alien embryo into his brain. Uh, It's quite a memorable bit of the game.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I I vaguely remember something about that in the the demo, but I I didn't get very far through it. And uh, uh, I felt like, as a probably... 12 year old child <laughs> playing this. this doesn't really feel aimed at me <laughs> <laughs> he finds clues about
0: the previous owner's death which reveal the existence of a parallel universe called the dark world ruled by aliens called the ancients one of them tells him that the nightmare he had on his first night was real and warns him that if the embryo the dark seed is born it will kill him and all of humanity I agree they're maybe not specifically aimed at 12-year-olds. Um, no. <laughs> but you, you could have probably got something out of it. Um, uh, therapy, maybe.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I, I wanted to try it because it was an uh, adventure game, I believe. Mm, and uh, I, yeah. I am into ad- adventure games, but uh, of course. I'm into more of the kind of LucasArts variety mm. where... Um, Deadly aliens can't invade your brain and kill you. <laughs> generally uh, speaking,
0: it was notable for the time for the high resolution of the graphics six hundred and forty by three hundred and fifty pixels. <laughs> oh, oh boy, uh, I'd be surprised if that were true on the Amiga version. But sure, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I was trying to get through. I was trying to get through calling six forty by six forty by three fifty high resolution without laughing <laughs>
1: Oh, it was the past. It was okay then. <laughs> well, like by comparison, those are like LucasArts adventure games tended to be like three twenty by two forty. Those early ones, I think. Like. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 yeah, yeah.
0: For context, it is actually
1: quite high, yeah. and
0: that was actually uh, Giga's insistence he wouldn't work with the team otherwise. So mm. you know, to properly get his art across. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's all I have to say about him now. All right. Um, so one of the holdovers from our previous season is um, a game with bells did we give it a name? Um, the, bell- the bells were called thing dingers. I don't think we specifically named the game
1: uh, no, I, I don't think we did uh, anyway in the last um, in, in the last series we had a little game where if any of us and by any of us I mean either of us <laughs> well done (laughs) (laughs) said uh, the thing and we were not talking about well this this game that I'm describing or the monster in the film or the name of the film itself so if we did the word thing in any other context then uh, and the other person noticed they'd be able to ring a bell like this and Didn't, uh, didn't hear the bell at all Oh really okay let me try let me reposition it cuz that will be a problem right um they will be able to ring a bell like this nothing really <laughs> nothing at all that's so weird <laughs> um it's, just literally silence it's it's right in front of the microphone hang on let me try one more time um they will be able to ring a bell like this Anything? Nothing. <laughs> I think
0: your sensitivity might be too low for it to pick up.
1: I don't understand. It's, it's really loud. <laughs> hey, hang on, let me do mine. Do you hear that? No. <laughs> what have we done? Do you hear that? I can sort of hear a tiny bit of it in the background, but it's not... <laughs> How have we broken bells? um all right well i was gonna cut all of this out but uh for now uh, i'm gonna have to say you're just gonna have to trust us that there was a yeah. bell are maybe we are we just <laughs> leaving maybe. this in oh, yeah. maybe we <laughs> can we... say ding at the same time like this we... ding. ding all right i did hear it when you did that right, yeah
0: so right. so it's, it's obviously like a microphone sensitivity thing uh i'm yeah. not should we just leave this in? I mean, <laughs> Let's just leave it in. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, so somehow between the last recording of this podcast and this one, we've broken how sound works. Um, yes. So we'll investigate that for the next podcast. But yeah. for now, for now, we'll you'll just have to take our word for it. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag consummate professionalism.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, we ring the bell, and the result of that is that the other person th- feels silly for a moment for forgetting the rule about saying the word the thing, and then we move on with our lives. There's, we're not really keeping score with it, it's just a it's just a fun thing to
0: do, really. Uh, the audience was supposed to be keeping score at home. If you haven't been up until this point, then uh, shame on you. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Uh, here is the part of the podcast where I answer any questions you had last time and you know what you didn't so we can get through this one quite quickly Um, and with that it's time to start watching and with that it's time to start watching Alien
1: alright I was going to say the thing
0: Okie dokie, we're watching minutes 24 to 32 of Alien and as always this isn't a watch along podcast so don't stop it why are you doing this just to watch the film stop being a coward it's not a scary movie well a little bit <clears throat> so how this works is i have a bulleted list of action points did we call them action mm. points sure why not um each bullet sums up 30 seconds of stuff which is happening on screen or more or less, you know, depending. Uh, I feel like I'm losing the plot on this on this explanation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically, I'm going to read a bulleted list of things and then we're going to talk about them or we're not going to talk about them. Fuck you, it's our podcast. Um <laughs> Relax, we've got another one of these to do after this. <laughs> where, where are my tablets? I need my tablets. <laughs> Uh, sorry, it's it's 30 degrees and I had to turn the air conditioner off to report the podcast, so... Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. The space-suited crew walk through a narrow valley of rock.
1: Um, just generally, about the next bunch of shots that we're going to go through again I just feel like I'm very uh, struck by how slow that they're taking it and uh, it, it, I kind of noticed that a lot as, as I was watching through that they are not in a hurry to get to the point with this in a way that feels n- nice and tense and, and good
0: Yeah apparently there was there was more or less a continual fight with the studio to keep the first 40 or 50 minutes of the movie this slowly paced Mm -hmm. um and i reckon it was absolutely the right decision um they are slow and like it it verges on boring doesn't it i mean like like it is suspenseful but at the same time they are taking a long time to get there and we're cutting to the other crew on the ship who don't really have anything to do until they get there and back
1: no, and I've I got some stuff to say later about how they're cutting back and forth mm. between, uh, between the ship and the, uh, uh, and, and the derelict as well, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that when we get to
0: that. Uh, the set here is the largest constructed in Europe at the time, um, and they were trudging across it in the middle of a 45-degree heat wave <laughs> in those suits that we discussed earlier, which were not in any way breathable. So, so they didn't need to do very much acting about the heat then that we're going <laughs> to <laughs> No. Um for sculpting the miniatures of the valley, uh Giga requested human bones to sculpt with, uh, and the production had to source a truckload of specially treated bones because non-treated human bones can carry anthrax bacteria. That's a, that's uh something you wouldn't expect from a film production. Uh, please please send me a truckload of human bones. I promise it's not for anything weird. Um, <laughs> We see a large horseshoe shaped thing in the distance obviously a construct of some kind now this is an alien spacecraft called the derelict and it was initially designed by ron cobb who is the concept artist for alien but his designs were rejected by ridley scott for looking too rational and human the design was then later passed to giga with the instruction that it should just look totally inhuman and ridley scott later wrote about the design Peter's first drawing was just a knockout. I took one look at it and said, "That's it." Peter, no. how do you how do you feel about horseshoe shaped spacecraft?
1: Yeah, it it does look very unusual, and uh, it but clearly constructed as well. So uh, I, I I like just again related to what I was saying before. I like that initially you really get a, just a bunch of blurry, jiggly shots. Um, that are being broadcast back uh, uh, of this thing, and it really um, uh, really helps with that kind of slow build to what you're actually looking at it's and everything's in this very dark blue kind of palette as well where that you can only make out shapes a lot
0: of the time interestingly even when we see it we don't really make out that much detail because it's heavily backlit mm. um a fact which made the construction crew for the miniatures sad because it, it is incredibly detailed uh but none of it comes across on camera <laughs> <laughs> i'm sure it,
1: it, there are some pictures somewhere of oh, uh... <laughs>
0: absolutely and and the model itself was sold and people have subsequently made models and it's made appearances in prometheus so everyone knows in detail what it looks like now right. but um it, it has a sort of ridged and veined exterior sort of like a I'm trying to think of something that's not the word cock um it has a I'm just going to go with cock I'm not going to go with cock right. <laughs> it has a, a almost like a ridged and veined exterior almost like a cock um <laughs> <this> is, <laughs> It has a weird sort of ridged and veined exterior, like something grown rather than manufactured
1: mm. I think you get you get more of a sense of that uh in the interior oh absolutely because looking at the outside i I was going to say I didn't get that much of a sense of the kind of giga esqueness of it, but once you uh, once you get to the inside it it's very apparent.
0: Hmm. None of the crew or Ash have ever seen anything like it before. They continue to approach it, despite worsening communications. The model here, which was used in film, was constructed from plasticine and polystyrene over a metal frame. It Hmm. was sculpted by Peter Voisey and was about four metres long. It's not small.
1: No, it's... uh takes quite an effort to build something like that. Sometimes I think that when you talk about miniatures in films, you you imagine something a lot smaller than than it actually is.
0: Yeah, it 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 is a very misleading word because miniature in this context just means smaller than life size. Yeah. Um, it's it like when we went back to the thing when they produced a miniature set of the um, uh, the ice, the final ice cave. Yeah. Uh, and it's something something like 18 feet in diameter. Right. <laughs> you know, like, I wouldn't describe that as miniature. That's a room. It's just smaller than regular size. Right. The crew find a series of holes in
1: the wall of the derelict and enter. Uh, notice that around this time we get the return of those kind of echoing flute notes from the beginning of the film. Which, yeah. Uh, I'm starting to associate with that with... Uh, that that with these kind of abandoned quiet places, because mm. um, you kind of get it at the beginning of the film where it it feels like the ship is empty, uh, and then it starts waking up, and then uh, and then you get it here as well as they're just about to go into a ship which again feels very empty and mysterious.
0: Um, yeah, I, I I hadn't actually picked up on it resuming, but yeah, I, I do know there is a the music track is starting to play more of a role again here. Mm. Um, once again, what we're seeing is children in spacesuits on a smaller than full-size set. Right, I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, shots with the children in were over-cranked, which is where the film is sped up through the camera. So when it's played back at normal speed, it looks slower than it is. Right. Right. Mm. What do you think made these holes?
1: Um,
0: I mean, because they they sort of look intentional, don't they? Like, um, well, let's not shy away from it. I mean, they're they're three gigantic vaginas on the side of the ship. That's that's <laughs> where that's where Geiger was going with this. It's in, um, oh, I call him Geiger. Maybe that's our game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe that's the game. <laughs> Ding, fuck. Um. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's where Keegar was going with it. The, like, it's in all of his notes that like the ship has this sort of biological approach. So there are all these excrescences and things. Mm.
1: Yeah. When you when you asked me that question, it it threw me for a second because I it hadn't occurred to me that they might be damage holes yeah. or like non intentional holes. But mm. it, I suppose they they could be. But yeah, I get the sense that there's some sort of intentional. Exhaust thing or something?
0: Yeah, there, there are definitely three. I'm, I'm interested in you saying exhaust, um, mm. because even if you had, uh, to me, even if you grew a spaceship from something, right, you'd need yeah. some sort of airlock, wouldn't you, to um keep the pressure inside, yeah, separate from the pressure outside of you know whatever atmosphere you breathe, yeah. Um, but there's, there's no sort of hint of mechanicalness here. They go... They enter an opening and travel into the ship.
1: Right. Yeah, I suppose... Uh, I, I suppose so. I, I, I guess I just hadn't really thought heavily before about what the layout and working of the ship is.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The crew wander through claustrophobic corridors. They climb up a wall into a vast... Domed room. In the center of the room, a giant alien skeleton looms in a chair. And it's a very large boy, isn't it? Yeah, he he, he is a real big lad. Mm. Um, so let me give you some facts about him, and then we can have a chat about him. What do you say? What yeah. say you? Yeah. Okay. Go go ahead. All right, the alien in the chair is referred to everywhere except on screen as the space jockey. That's okay. what that's what the production called him that's what his name has become in the alien fan community if you want to look him up on the alien wiki you type in space jockey wow the model here is 26 feet tall um and it's mounted on a turntable so they only had to build half of the room and could turn it around for different shots
1: no in in those kind of wide shots are we looking at kids again I was literally about to say, it's Ridley's kids climbing all over it there. Right, okay. (laughs) Um,
0: The only time it's not is obviously for the close-ups of the actors, because you'd notice, because their faces would be different. (laughs) I don't know why I felt I need to clarify that. Uh, 20th Century Fox didn't want to allow this prop to be built. Because of its vast scale and use in only one scene, but the conceptual artist Ron Cobb convinced them to leave the scene in the movie, as it would be the Cecil B. DeMille shot, showing the audience that this wasn't a low-budget B movie. Um, right.
1: <laughs> I mean, I it did always strike me as interesting that they go, they find this room, they find this big kind of dead alien, and uh, it's very big, very impressive. Probably Mm. very expensive. We'll get to that. uh, And then they just kind of... For the rest of the plot, that's just never a factor again. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, I mean, I imagine
0: if the events that happen in the next episode didn't, in fact, happen, they would probably spend more time investigating, playing around with it, seeing what it was. But, you know, obviously... They had another impetus, and you've got to remember that none of the people they sent are, in fact, scientists. We've got, you know, our space truckers, basically, who've stumbled across this thing. Yeah. Um. You mentioned the cost there. How? Okay. Let's let's mini game. How much do you think the set and the prop cost in nineteen seventy nine dollars?
1: Uh goodness me! Like, um... do you do you want
0: it in modern dollars instead? Would that make it easier for you?
1: No, no, I think. I can't remember whether we've discussed what the whole budget of the film was before. That would be a good thing to know. Uh, I I feel like it's come up. The 1979 budget was $11 million. Okay, so this is is an $11 million film, so I'm trying to figure out what proportion of it was spent on this... (laughs) What percentage on this one dude? (laughs) I am going to go for... $500,000 $500,000 on that one thing. Spot on. Well done. Half a million dollars on uh,
0: the um, on the, the space jockey, his chair, and the set surrounding him. Uh, that's about $2 million in modern currency. Mm. The space jockeys are a very contentious thing in the alien fan community. I feel like whenever I say something is very contentious in the something fan community... I could be talking about anything. You know what I mean? Right. You, you like, I, I, I love alien. I love alien fans. Someone will always find something to argue with you about. I mean, that's, that's human nature, right? Um, yeah. But space shock is a particularly divisive because, or I, I mean, as you've seen here, when the dude is massive, he is like, compared to a human he would be what like 18 feet tall if he stood up yeah here's where it gets interesting they they are featured heavily in prometheus so um you really got cycled back about 30 something years after alien was released and thought what people want to know is the story behind the space jockeys what is their what is their whole deal why is he here in this spacecraft yeah. and um the way they took it conflicts slightly with Alien in a number of key ways. Like, you, I mean, you see, they they call them the Engineers in um in Prometheus, right? And they are much smaller than you see in Alien. So they are hmm. like they're sort of like nine, nine, nine and a half feet tall with a build to match. Um, hmm. but also. One of the things I assume you noticed about this dude was the fact that he's got an elephant trunk
1: <laughs> oh i actually didn't uh, oh, Really? <laughs> no i i I kind of know i I've always found it a little bit difficult to sort out what his hmm. anatomy is supposed to be
0: so he has he has like a long bone crest running from over his head down and onto his chest, and okay. it, it, It looks like like a lot of people take it to be a trunk of some kind. Which Mm. weird that it has bones in it. I assume elephant trunks don't have bones in them because you know you see elephant skulls and they don't have trunk bones. I think it's just a muscle. Yeah, I think so. Digressing. Um, (laughs) Um, so. There were lots of alien comics and books that filled in the universe after mm-hmm. alien aliens alien three blah 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 came out and they um they went with the the thing that the space jockeys the engineers Dang. Uh, <laughs> you got me <laughs> <laughs> they went with the chosen methodology that um. Uh the space jockeys and or the engineers are a sort of race of elephant like people um, who are hard to follow their motivations. They hate the aliens, but they also hate us. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> that's where that goes. But like Prometheus is a lot different because they're you know just tallish human people and the they cover the discrepancy with the thing by having that be a helmet he's wearing. Mm. Um, so I mean it's just something to talk about really that, that these discrepancies exist I mean obviously whatever would seem more canonical is whatever Ridley Scott came up with afterwards in Prometheus
1: yes I, um, I but it is weird yeah yeah,
0: it, 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 it is it's strange that there is that I, I suppose uh, CGI-ing in 18 foot tall people into every scene would be a bit of a pain yeah <laughs> so um Let's let's go back to the prop for a second. So the space jockey prop. Alien opened at the Egyptian theatre in LA for the premiere. And uh, they decked the whole thing out to be like, you know, um, Alien, the movie. So they, they shipped in actual props from the film. And um, because this was, you know, the late 70s, they just put them there and you could touch them and, you know. Get your greasy hands all over them and things, so there were eggs and there was like a an alien and there was the um the the space jockey, the whole the whole prop in the Egyptian theatre.
1: Right. Right.
0: Um
1: and a
0: little while after it was left there, it was burned down by religious fundamentalists who thought that it was the work of the devil. <laughs> really? Yeah, the the space jockey prop was destroyed in a fire uh, (laughs) at the Egyptian theatre. Jeez. What a strange and sad
1: ending to that that enormous prop. It's a shame that that $500,000 prop just is not anywhere now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. uh...
0: I mean, a lot of the other stuff from Alien and Aliens is slowly vanishing into the hands of private collectors, you know, right. to be locked away in cupboards and never really looked at. Um, but, I mean, that that was a big boy, and it's it's gone now because of arson, which is just such a weird thing to yeah. connect to this movie. <laughs> hmm. uh, Dallas notes that it's been dead a long time, and has a hole in its rib cage that exploded from the inside um
1: so i mean the other thing i noticed which uh, judging by what you've said about um uh, uh prometheus which is a film that i haven't seen um i i i've only seen a couple of films in the alien series and i have not seen any prequels or any of the more recent ones as well really um uh and I assumed though that Prometheus, which I, I did understand to be a prequel, in some way addressed some of this backstory. Um but the thing I really noticed about the hole in the chest, um was that it's really large. Yeah. Um, yeah. That um
0: it it's it's easily the size of like uh, you know, Dallas's fist. So given what we know about where the aliens come from, um, do you think that means you get bigger ones from...
1: Uh... Well, that that was going to be my question, really. Yeah, I suppose it's, do, if they go into a bigger host, do they come out bigger? Is that how it works? Or is well... it just to make it clear and it, we shouldn't be thinking about it too much? I don't, I don't
0: know. Uh, I I honestly don't know if they were thinking about it that much uh, when they made the model I mean presumably it was just so that you'd go whoa big hole Um, but something that the films have adopted later is that the aliens take on characteristics of their hosts
1: Okay.
0: so in Alien 3, have you seen Alien 3? Uh, I
1: don't think I have seen Alien 3 I might have seen bits of it but definitely not all the way through set on a prison planet Um, not jogging memory? Mm, yeah, no, I vaguely, but I I don't think that I've watched it
0: all the way through. So, um, in that the alien emerges from a dog, um, uh, in the theatrical cut. Don't, don't don't ask me other questions. Um, and um, it takes on dog-like traits, like it has longer legs and can run, and it runs on all fours rather than mm. um, not on all fours like the other ones we've seen. <laughs>
1: A note to self: Look up what the fancy word for not on all fours is. Uh, Bipedal, bipedal, bipedal.
0: Yeah. Yes, yes. It uses it exhibits bipedal locomotion as opposed to quadrupedal locomotion. Interestingly, and just because you've reminded me of it, and it doesn't really fit anywhere else in my notes, a film student called Job Willins has edited Alien and, and Prometheus together uh, to make a new film called The Derelict, focused only around the the ship we see here. Huh. Um, though he did have to desaturate both to black and white so that you know the nineteen seventy nine film grain would match with the more modern film. Um,
1: I haven't got around to watching it yet, but I'm I'm quite excited at the prospect, to be honest. Right. I I mean I I suppose to really properly appreciate what he'd have done I'd have to see Prometheus which I understand isn't something that I should be in a massive hurry to do. <laughs> um I
0: I would feel I I feel bad about knocking Prometheus but uh, opinions are opinions and I I don't like it. I okay. <laughs> yeah. Um for me it was it's uh, The plot is kind of scatty and all over the place. Um, It just seems unfocused and uh, like the whole is it, isn't it an alien prequel stuff was annoying at the time and more annoying in the actual film. Yeah. Kane finds a floor in the hole and beckons the others over. So as he does this... There's a long lingering shot on the corpse in the dark uh, over some shrill rising music, which is very effective in being creepy.
1: Yeah, and I I was going to say that that they kind of use that a bit in that you get, in the soundtrack over the next uh, section of the film, you kind of get some things that sound like they might be in the world, but they also sound like they might be part of the soundtrack and there's a bit of a blurring of the lines between the two. I think there's like a big clank later that is mm. um, uh, it kind of echoes as well, really heavily, and it sounds mm. it sounds like it's both part of what's happening in the scene, but also part of the score, and it's, it's very creepy and effective, I think.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I guess we'll, we should talk about the score separately at some point, but it is mm. Very effective. Um, I, I, I just always enjoyed this shot as um, the corpse. Uh, I mean, it's a corpse. It's dead. It's not going to do anything, but it is alien, so who knows what it can do, you know? Right, yeah. <clears throat> um, back on the Nostromo, Ripley explains that Mother has decoded some of the signal and it seems to be a warning.
1: Mm, I'm going to talk a second actually about what i thought was another really effective audio moment here Mm. um because um and it comes right after that shot um because that you get that all that kind of effective use of soundtrack and kind of creepy use of soundtrack and then it just kind of cuts quite abruptly at this point back to the um the kind of just background ship noises and the computers going off in the background and all that 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 kind of sound and mm. um a, and i think the reason it works so well is that suddenly the the ship feels very alive and safe mm. com- compared to the derelict suddenly there's like oh uh, These there are these sounds of just kind of computers going off and machines humming in the background, and I under uh, I understand these sounds and feel safe around them. Do you know what I was going to make exactly the same point that at the start of the
0: movie the ship feels cold, sterile. You know, um, it's making ship noises, but they seem like medical and um, industrial. Here, when we cut from the derelict into the nostromo it's really cozy like yeah. uh, like y- y- you feel safer in these scenes and it's such a weird experience <laughs> mm. uh, ripley's found that mother has decoded some of the signal it seems to be a warning and ash is refusing to let her go to um um warn dallas and all that who have been out of communication for some time
1: Yeah, and maybe uh, maybe a little bit of this is that I know some of what's going to happen in the film (laughs) later, and I I know a bit about uh, Ash's motivations. But um, first, when I was writing up notes about this, I wrote that Ash always kind of comes off as very unconcerned, but I think that's not quite it. I think that, to me, it feels like he always comes off as being... Not concerned about the same things that the others yeah. are concerned about. Yeah, um, he he feels like there's stuff that he cares about. <laughs> yeah, and it 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 only partially overlaps with that of the rest of the crew. Exactly. Yeah, and I, th- I, it feels like that's definitely a a, a deliberate choice here, and it's mm. always kind of difficult to kind of detangle how much of that is me reading stuff into these performances, knowing after the fact, and how much mm. of that is uh, is in the performance. But I, I do feel like it is is there in the performance. So there's there's a, there's also an
0: interesting uh, little tick here in that. Um, I can't remember if we've spoken about the novelization or not.
1: I think we did, but maybe I'm thinking about um, The Thing. Uh, yeah, I mean,
0: it, it, it. also it might have been something I've spoken to you about before, because um, I've read the novelization, obviously. Yes. Um, so... Uh, the novelization is a slight point of contention, because it was written by alan dean foster again who also wrote the novelization of the thing the man is a powerhouse i mean the number of books he's turned out is incredible um i I wish i had 10 percent of alan dean foster's work ethic honestly (laughs) um but um because it came from a early shooting script because obviously you want to release your book at the same time as the film so you can't wait until the film is finished to get the book written because it takes a while to write a book yeah um it differs from the plot of the movie in a number of ways and they're interesting ways um because obviously it gives you a glimpse into what the original plot was going to be yeah uh before cuts were made for cost or time or sanity (laughs) yeah (laughs) um but here, in the novel, uh, which of course came from one of the scripts, so it's probably in one of the original scripts, um, the company has a rule that no more than three people can be off the ship at any one time. So, Because, you know, presumably with such a diminished crew you wouldn't be able to take off again if there was another accident. So it makes perfect right. sense.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, but that, that is rational and Ash reminding her of that would be i mean that would be in line with his duties right he would remind her that you know it does it's bad for you to leave the ship as well because then we'll all be in a bad situation but so what they ended up changing it to where he i mean it seems almost callous doesn't it i mean he knows like they they're in there and they may be in danger there's no way for any of them to know but the only th- like looking from the point of view of the crew who's still on the Nostromo, all they can do is wait to hear from them who've gone into an alien derelict, where which is blocking the signals. Mm-hmm. He's not like maybe we should go and try and investigate after them. He's like, well, let's just wait and see what happens, which does make sense from the point of view of you know a science officer, but also it is callous. It's like, well, they they're gone now and
1: that's it <laughs> yeah he says some, something like what's the point and then he the, the, the point he makes is that they'll they'll know if it's a warning or not yeah. by the time you get there Wh- the implication of which is they'll be in danger soon maybe <laughs> yeah right. if, if they they, well, they are wandering
0: into an obvious trap um right, yeah but it's too late for us to do anything about it um mm-hmm. Yeah, what's the point is a very callous phrase, but, uh, yeah. but he does kind of backpedal with what he says immediately afterwards. Right. Back on the derelict, a pulley rig lowers Kane into the hole. He is lowered into a cavern which stretches as far as the eye can see, filled with large eggs.
1: And once again, the uh, eight minutes kind of neatly closes off the last part of the uh, uh, the plot and introduces us, uh, like, just a little tantalising glimpse at the next part of the plot that we're going to be concerned <laughs> with.
0: Um, it's weird that it works out so well. I guess yeah. that's just... Maybe it's just how editing has come to be over time.
1: Mm. Um, yeah, it's it's the length of time which you can kind of... Keep uh, a a new plot development in your head before needing something else or something I don't know. <laughs> oh, I wonder if one of us should look up
0: editing at some point. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you are a film editor, um, oh, well done on you. That's that's a cool job. And also, um, let us know. Uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, if you know anything about editing and you can explain in any way why this this kind of eight minute chunk format seems to work out so well for us then please do get in touch (laughs) i'm glad i picked a number that coincidentally
0: seems to work fine um the set he's being lowered into here is actually the same set as the space jockey set redressed so it's the same curving walls um one of the things that made shooting alien very difficult was that they suffered from a real lack of sound stages um they only had seven, whereas Star Wars, uh, contemporary had thirteen. Um, so often, the instant they finished filming on a set, like a team of people would descend and start knocking it down, <laughs> so <laughs> that they could they could redress it for something else or change it to a different
1: set. Uh <laughs> mm. I guess you have to be really sure that you're done to make that work. Oh yeah, and. Um, <sighs>
0: One of the things that that I find very interesting about directors is that they can hold all this stuff in their head, um, yeah. especially because of the incredibly nonlinear way in which films have to be shot for exactly this reason. Like they put up the base jockey set. So like um, weirdly with Alien, one of the last shots of the movie was one of the last shots filmed, uh, which is very, very rare. Mm. um but a lot of the others are all higgledy-piggledy all mixed up at random um and it's it, it's a genuine problem especially if the script is changing because you know you're only human there's only so much stuff you can keep track of um i was actually watching a film recently called the snowman and it's like a, a nordic noir thriller um i think it was made in like 2010 right and i, I watched it i was quite interested when i was watching it but i i couldn't follow the plot at all i was like is it is there has there been a mistranslation or something or like you know um, what i was thinking is is like do i just not understand am i too stupid to follow you know the twisty turny plot of this movie mm-hmm. and um it wasn't just me i went on the wikipedia article to read about it and it wasn't just me because what had happened was the plot kept changing while they were filming it and while they were filming it, they forgot to film a significant chunk of the movie. Like I think it was something like twenty or thirty percent of the film just didn't get recorded. So because they'd mixed everything up, they hadn't filmed a whole section of the film. So they all had they could they realised in the editing suite they had whole scenes missing that you know they couldn't just draw them in in Byro you know and they couldn't. They were already over budget. They couldn't drag all the actors back and rebuild all the sets and put them back in them so they almost had to fix it Garth Morangi style whether there's a um, there's a shot in dark place where they they're looking at a plant pot and everyone is talking quickly to get exposition out over it and they really did have to fix it in a similar way with like shots of like you know b-roll footage of like you know sunsets and things out of office windows with characters talking and- <laughs> <laughs> Even then, they couldn't get enough of the logic of the film back in. So it's a real problem, Um, and it it fascinates me that obviously people manage to do it so successfully and so regularly because there are so many films.
1: (laughs) So the moral of the story is, when you're filming a film, make sure to film all of the things that you're filming. Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) All right, okay, well done one all <laughs> uh come so
0: on that note um we forgot to film we forgot to film a bit of the podcast earlier on that's ironic isn't it um
1: what what did we forget <laughs> <laughs> um
0: my questions to you about who's infected and whatever right so let's do those now and then we'll uh, do the post ones uh, as well okay all right uh so before we watch it uh i usually ask you three questions which generally made more sense while we were watching the thing but uh, whatever we've established that um, tradition is just peer pressure from dead people um Who's infected you said last time and uh, the answer you gave was nobody mm. <laughs> yes um, there are four exclamation marks here um, and you said what happens next the ground team find the source of the signal and go inside to look at what's happening and tense conversations happen on the inside of the ship so uh, yeah I think that um, I think you did very well with that one.
1: Yeah, I I would say uh, I didn't, I I forgot that they kind of lost signal, but there were some, if not tense conversations, at least some chatter around them not being able to communicate and what to do about Hmm. that. And so there were some tense conversations and they did investigate the inside of the thing. Well done, well done. 10,000
0: points for you. (laughs) Hooray. And the other question, who dies next? And you said Cain. (laughs) <laughs> yes. I still think that. Yeah, you're you're, you're you're sticking with that, are you? Yeah, probably for the best. So, I usually ask you uh three questions at this point. So, first of all, again,
1: probably made more sense in the thing, but who's infected, Peter? Um, again, nobody is really infected uh, except perhaps um Ripley with a sense of uh, dread about what might be about to happen um and uh, uh and maybe we could s- say that Ash is infected with a desire to complete his probably secret mission objective <laughs> to do with this uh, derelict
0: really you are uh... You, you don't think the space jockey is infected.
1: Well, that's... Uh... Uh, I mean, not anymore. <laughs> that that situation seems to have resolved itself many... Um... Possibly <laughs>
0: millions of years ago.
1: Perhaps we could say that the entire ship, the entire derelict is infected. How about that?
0: <laughs> All right. Righty-ho um and what we're gonna what i'm gonna ask you uh and i feel like this is one of the ones which is fairly easy is mm-hmm. uh what happens next
1: okay uh well uh, i mean how far in the future do you want me to go with this
0: <laughs> um, <laughs> well, um want... uh, dwell upon the title of the podcast and then
1: answer the question. <laughs> right. The, the the immediate future and possibly into the next eight minutes as well. Eight, right. eight, minutes. Okay. <laughs> About eight so, minutes. So immediately what happens next is that um, Kane uh, is going to go down and have a look at the eggs. Uh, I think he's going to take his uh, helmet off as well in what scientists are calling the worst decision ever um, <laughs> and then a big old nasty is going to jump out of one of those eggs and attach itself to his face I, I'm pretty sure that that's going to all happen but also there's going to be some, I I, I think this is true, I, I remember something about this uh, there's going to be some argument about quarantine procedures in ooh. which um, Ash is going to it, insist or just kind of oh I, I dinged Ding. yeah <laughs> Ash is going to insist that they be let back onto the ship and uh, uh, and Ripley is not going to be so sure about this but somehow Ash is going to get his way. About letting them back onto the ship.
0: All right, um, and now, w- w- are you are you rolling Kane forward as the per- first person to
1: die? Um, yeah, I don't know whether we will get that in the next eight minutes or or not. I feel like we might just miss out on that. Actually, mm. I, I I think uh, I, I I think we spend some more time with. Uh, with the alien attached to his face before that situation gets resolved. So I don't think that's happening in the next segment, but maybe the one after that. Right.
0: Well, that just leaves us with, um, what are you thinking of the film so far?
1: Yeah, well, again, this method that you've come up with to trick me into liking a film more just by (laughs) paying very intense um, attention to it, over um a period of hours uh, and discussing each 8 minutes at a time it it does it does work i do appreciate the, the film more even if it's still not really my my genre i do um i do find myself uh, with with a greater appreciation for these the, the more that i see them
0: yeah, I mean again as we said before, the only real way to test this is to just straight up watch a film that both of us don't like.
1: <laughs> yeah, and see if we come out liking it more. And at the end at the end we become apologists for it. Uh... Right, yeah. <laughs> Actually, when you look at it in microscopic detail, there's something there. <laughs> yeah. I, I, w- I wonder if the eight minute rule holds
0: true for films that we don't like. Though, whether we have to go deeper, like down to one minute or twenty seconds or something. <laughs> maybe,
1: maybe if a film isn't made as well, it slices up in a, a less easy to digest way. Who <laughs> you knows? We uh, we we end up we
0: end up watching a film that we both don't like and having to watch it frame by frame and talk about each frame for yeah. an hour and a half. If you, the listener at home, have been affected by any of the issues raised in this podcast, why did I start this like a warning? <laughs>
1: like, like yeah, a- that, That's not what we do at this point. <laughs> um I'm confused. If- <laughs> yeah. You know,
0: if you've enjoyed this or you've liked listening to us, those are the same things. If you haven't liked listening to us, then I don't like you. That's mean. Also, um, just stop. No one's making you uh, endure this. Yeah, no, when... Um, <laughs> not until the device is finished. Yes. Uh, <laughs> broadcasting this all over the world simultaneously through all media. Um, uh, it's behind schedule. But yeah, if you'd like to reach out to us in some way, you can do that on the social... Or you can drop us an email at podcast at 8 It doesn't matter if you spell eight with an eight
1: or an eight. That's letters or numbers. They both work. Yes. Yes, they do. Um, and as for how to contact me, uh, while I will ask you never to refer to it as the Vosoche again, <laughs> you can... <laughs> Yeah, you can uh, get me at Kestrel Pi in most of the usual places, so that's Kestrel like the bird, and that's Pi like the irrational
0: number. And I'm on Twitter as Kieran J. Walsh, because that is indeed the name I have chosen to operate under. Um, well, that's enough of all of this nonsense. Goodbye from... Us and have a lovely Tuesday. Bye. You see, there's a there's a one in seven chance they'll be listening to this on a Tuesday, even though okay. they're scheduled to go out on a Friday.
1: Next time we should, should just say like, have a lovely Tuesday, George. And then one person, <laughs> oh, one specific it. name, yeah. um, have a really pleasant tuesday george brown and then maybe like someone one day listening to this podcast will be really um, flummoxed but
0: that, that that'll just lead them to have a heart attack or something
1: you know yeah. and then th- that will it be our
0: fault Or oh, a hashtag black mirror uh, um bye bye
1: <laughs> <laughs>